0: to say thank you Lord that you have brought our Jan back to us today (laughs) she has gone through a very tough time and uh, we are praying for our Ernie and Ann that we might see them next week possibly so keep them in your prayers daily um Heavenly Father we come into this building today this morning at this appointed time and lord i think of how you appoint times you appoint times in our life for healing you appoint times in our heart in our lives for joy for first steps in babies' lives you appoint times as we go through this process until the end of time when you return and so lord we do say come lord jesus just as you've instructed us to pray we look forward to your coming again, and Lord, make us faithful until that day. Draw us together as a body that we might be men and women who pray for one another and uphold your word. We praise you and thank you for this day, and we ask you to use it in our hearts and our minds and our lives. And Lord, as I before I stop, I want to specifically pray for Andrew this morning you have sent him out from in our midst and we do not know if he is in any kind of a danger but we ask you to set a hedge of protection around Andrew and to bring him back home again safely to use him according to your will in Jesus name amen
1: good morning everybody good morning. a prepared place in my father's house there are many mansions And as much as our homes mean to us, they are not permanent. I think of the home that I grew up in, we had six kids and aunts, uncles, cousins, and they had all come and we'd have the best time, a lot of laughter, and then seasons changed and uh, the siblings went out into their own lives and the house became quiet and empty. The house that once rang with laughter of children now seems empty. Those disciples, for Christ's sake, gave up their houses and their lands, and the loved ones, um, they knew little of the home life or the home joys. It was as if Jesus were saying to them, we have no lasting home here on earth, but my Father's house is a home where we will be together for all eternity. Even life's happiest experiences last but a moment, yet heaven's joys are eternal. Someday we will go to our eternal home and Christ will be there to welcome us. The hope for today, many songs, books and movies have been written around the theme of going home and the emotions that accompany it. None of them can hold a candle to the heavenly homecoming homecoming that awaits us in glory
2: you are worthy of you okay.
1: Put your name on
2: high, for I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life, I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross. to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high, Lord, I lift your name on high, Lord, I I love to sing your praises, I'm so glad you're in my life i you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. I did to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. I From the cross to the grave, from the grave
0: to the sky.
3: good reports unknown I think that Psalm 131 is maybe the best place to stand Lord my heart is not haughty nor my eyes lofty neither do I concern myself with great matters and over things too profound for me surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother like a weaned child is my soul within me O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Would you like to pray the Lord's Prayer with me? If you're comfortable sitting, you can sit, or you can stand if you'd rather stand. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts,
4: 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 through the end of the chapter and on until chapter 4 through verse 2. Since this new way gives us such confidence we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is a spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, We never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this.
5: Well, uh, we're, gonna, we're continuing on in Genesis. We're in chapter 8. And if you remember um, where we've been, we, we've actually been on the ark with Noah and his family. And then uh, if you remember, there were 40 days and nights of rain. And then they waited until the waters receded. And now they're getting ready to... Um, to exit the ark. and So we're going to talk about the the time then of settling of the ark and and then um, the exiting the ark, Noah and his family. So as we've done um, in the last few Sundays, I'm going to read just a little bit and then we'll do an exposition of that and keep going through the text that way. Um, Verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone gone down. Now the word for remembered uh, is a word in the Hebrew that means it's... it's, uh, Covenant language, and where we see it a lot in Scripture is um, God remembering um, and the promise that He's made, and that's you know that's what really our basis for coming into the Lord is that, is that we remind God, here's what you've said, and that's what what uh, what we're seeing here in this Scripture, in Exodus two twenty four, God heard their groaning. Now this is the this is the children of Israel in the uh, in the in Egypt, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Same word that's used in the Hebrew. Uh, Exodus 6, 5, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Okay, so God remembers his covenant that he made with his people. Numbers 10:9. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets, Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Hallelujah. We pray that for for Ukraine this morning. Genesis 30, 22. When then God remembered Rachel, he listened to her and opened her womb. So uh, we remind God of his his, uh, promises and his covenant toward us. Um, So it says that the, uh, the... water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. So the water had begun to go down. And if you remember, in the beginning, there was water, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, with the recreation, once again, the waters cover the whole surface of the earth. And so, when they're beginning to recede then, that's where we pick up the story. It's also interesting that... As, uh, as I was reflecting on this passage, that the wind, okay, it says there the wind came, and when there's a wind, what happens to waters? There, there you get, it gets rough. So, you know, I always said, kind of pictured that the ark is just floating on this nice calm uh, sea. That's not the case. The winds came up, so it's rough on the seas. And here's this family and all the animals in this ark and um, apparently, one thing is the way that the ark was constructed was was such perfect dimensions that rough seas would not be as as uh, bad as they could be. Uh, there's a certain dimension that if that you're gonna you know you're not gonna have as much of a tossing and turning in the waves. But the other part of a, the wind is that the ark would drift. Okay. And so that's part of when we talk about where where is the ark, Um, part of the reason that we don't really, you know, we're not positive about where it is and it hasn't been found, is that the ark drifted. And we don't know how far it drifted. There's a long, you know, whole year that they're on the ark and it could have been quite a drift. And we also see a close parallel between the original creation and chapter 8. Uh, verse one, uh, Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in in Genesis 8.1 and He sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So we see you know the same kind of themes coming up as we saw in the original creation account. Now we see this taking uh, taking part in chapter eight. Uh, Genesis 1, 7. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, there was morning, the second day. And then in chapter 8, verse 2, the floodgates of the heavens were closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. So we see then all through this account, and we won't go through all of them, but there's a close parallel between some of the language that we found in Genesis chapter 1, and now again in chapter 8. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 4, And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So this is the first time now that we hear of Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat. Um, and the text does not say that the ark rested on Mount Ararat on the top of the peak, but we would infer that probably it settled on the peak of Mount Ararat. Now, Mount, Mount Ararat is sixteen thousand eight hundred and fifty-four feet high, so that's that's pretty high. That's it's the um, it's the highest mountain in you know in in right in that region. The highest mountain in the continental U.S. is Mount Whitney in California, and it stands at 14,494 feet above sea level. So this was another 2,400 feet above uh, the highest peak that we have in the United States. So we're talking about a pretty high mountain. Um, And so the question is, where is Mount Air at? Okay, and you can see on the map here, um, it's right near Armenia, Azerbaijan, uh, Azerbaijan, Iran, and in the far east of Turkey, uh, and, it, and uh, it, what, what's called Anatolia, um, in the far east of Anatolia. And it's in a, in a, an area that's called Urartu. And it's, it's the kingdom in the 8th and 7th century B.C. And it was centered on the east shore of Lake Van. Lake Van is... Uh, you can see you can't see it in here, but it's near. Oh, there it is on the right-hand side. There you see uh, in down below where Ararat would be. Uh, they, that's Lake Van, and that's known as the uh, Eastern Taurus Mountains or the uh, or the Ararat Mountain Range, and um, so it's commonly called today Mount Ararat. And as I've said, we you know the Turks and the times that we've been, we've heard many Turks say that Mount Ararat is, is, is uh, where the ark settled. And so, you know, we don't know. It hasn't been found. A lot of people have said they found it, but we don't know where it is. Um, but the top of, of there's, there's two mountain ranges in uh, Mount Ararat. And uh, go to the next slide uh, and, and go to the next one and then we'll back up. Well, anyway, we'll back up. Um, but the, there's two mountain peaks, Big Arat and Little Arat. And we don't know exactly which one, you know, exactly where the ark landed. But the top of Big Arat is covered with snow all year round. And that's why people say that, you know, it, it, the ark could possibly be up there but we just can't see it because it's covered with snow all year round. It's very, very, very high. Uh, in Turkish, Arad is called Arıdal, and Arı means ache or pain or childbirth labor. <laughs> okay. So I don't know exactly where it got that name, but, but that's, uh, that's you know where the Turkish name comes from. And it probably comes from the location of the mountain, which is between the provinces of Arı and Udur in Turkish. Um, Okay, let's go back to earlier sightings. Yeah, there's the two peaks there, the big Eret on the right and the little Eret on the left. Uh, let's go back a few slides to uh, sightings. Okay, here we are. Um, these are some of the sightings of the ark over the millennia. this is a chart from Chuck Missler. And you can see uh, how many times that people have said that they have sighted the ark. Uh, Babylonian records, Greek histories, 275 B.C., uh, 30 B.C., uh, 1st century B.C., 70 A.D., Josephus, 350 A.D., uh, Epiphanius, uh, and so on and so forth, down to uh, February 20, 1993, CBS did a primetime special with photos on the Ark. So (laughs) there are a lot of people over the millennia who have said that they have seen the Ark. But there has not been a a real confirmation of that. But as I've said before, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these days we come up with the ark. We find out where it is. But so far we have not been able to do that. Okay, now at this point it had been 227 days that they had been on the ark. That's a long time. Okay. And it says that the waters receded until the 10th month or 300 days of living on the ark. The waters begin to recede, and the tops of the mountains became visible. So this is now the 600th year of Noah's life. The second month, the 17th day, the rains start. And then 40 days and 40 nights of rain, 150 days, the waters receding. And so on the 7th month, the 17th day, the ark rests on the mountains of Eret. Okay. That's exactly five months after the rain started. The ark comes, rests on um, the, probably, you know, on the big Ararat. But the question is, why did God give such a specific day for the day when the ark rested on Mount Ararat? Why that detail? So you go back to what happened on the 17th day of the seventh month. Well, the seventh month would be, in the older calendar, the month of Nisan. And the 14th day of Nisan was the Passover. And three days later was the what? Resurrection. Resurrection. Okay. So the ark rested on Mount Ararat on the day of, that Christ is resurrected from the dead. I mean, not the same day, but I mean the anniversary. You know, <laughs> a long time later. But, but it was the same day. So that's an interesting... Interesting idea, isn't it? That uh, that on Christ, the day that Christ is resurrected from the dead, um, that anniversary, the Ark rests on Mount Ararat. Um, just an interesting kind of uh, uh, detail. Yeah, yeah. And then um, let's go to the next one. This one, yes. So this is. Um, I'm going to stand over here so you can see this. But um, Noah enters the ark on the second month, the 10th day. And then 40 days later, the heavy rains stop. 110 days later, the waters recede. And then as we said, 150 days later, the ark rests on Mount 70 days, 74 days later, the mountaintops are visible. Um, that would be the 10th month, the first day. 40 days later, the raven is sent out. And that's the 11th day of the 11th month. And then, the, and then three times the dove is sent out. And then 22 days later, the water receded. And 163 days later, Noah saw dry land. 57 days later, the land was completely dry and the ark um, <coughs> exited. So the total is 377 days that they're on the ark. Okay? That's a long time. Because you've, you know, you've got a family of eight... And, yeah, plus all those animals, and they're feeding them. That's a lot of work <laughs> that, they were, that they were on the, on the ark. Okay, <clears throat> so beginning verse 6, After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. Okay, that's the first sending out of the dove. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself on the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. Second, sending out of the dove. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Okay, so we have the sending out of the raven. And then uh, in seven day, you know, succession, he sent out the dove three different times. Now it's interesting that he first sent out the raven because the raven was, can feed on all kinds of, uh, of different uh, diets, including uh, flesh. And so there would no doubt be a lot of carcasses floating. So the raven leads, leaves the ark, and the raven could, could feed on the corpses and so on. So the raven doesn't come back. But the dove did come back twice, and then eventually doesn't, uh, doesn't come back. And when the dove came back, it had a fleshly plucked olive leaf in its beak. And it's, it's interesting that that is still a symbol of peace, isn't it? Uh, the, the dove with an with a olive branch in its beak is a symbol of worldwide of peace and prosperity and so, so on and so forth. It's also interesting that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. Well, so many coincidences in Scripture, aren't there? <laughs> so many things that we see that are, you know, we see repeated patterns and so on. Okay, verse 13. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So the water had dried up by the 371st day of their being on the ark. Then by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So as I said, now, now there had been uh, 377 days. They entered the ark on the 10th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. Okay, And then the rain started on the 17th day of the month. So, a lot of time on the ark. Um, okay, going on to verse 15. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. Alright, now, now they're You know, the ark has been grounded. The earth is dry enough that they can exit the ark. God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. So they went in in kinds, in pairs, and they come back out in kinds in pairs. So you wonder what daily life was like on the ark. (laughs) What they did. I mean, first of all, they're really busy. Uh, this again is a shot from the uh, from the Ark Encounter. It's called. How many of you have been to that now, Bill? Your your impressions? <laughs> in, in, immense, though. It big, huh? Yeah. Okay. I haven't been there yet. Um, as I, I don't know whether I mentioned this or not. It's very close to where we went to college, uh, and Matt, Caroline, and I. So in that in that part of the world. U.S. You, you well, anyway, um, it must have been really busy. You know, they're they're preparing food, they're they're feeding the animals, they're fixing things that break. <laughs> you know, I mean, how how often do things break? You know, um, so they weren't bored, but it must have been a bit smelly and noisy <laughs> with all those animals and all that all that's going on. So anyway, so we're talking about the ark, and we're talking about the family coming out of the ark, and they probably didn't need heat, because the animals would provide the heat, okay? Um, and you know we we've seen this in Turkey so many different times. Uh, you get out into the villages, and the villages, the houses are built usually a, a couple of stories, two two stories, but they. They have a ground floor, and they have the animals on the ground floor. And the reason for that is that they would that that would provide heat for the for the house. Also, would be a little smelly in the house, but that's you know you get the heat from down uh, down in the basement, which is where they would have all the animals. So that Noah and the animals on the ark then would have to find their way down from Mount Ararat. Um, the elevation of the final resting place of the ark is, we said it's almost 17,000 foot high. So they had to go from 17,000 foot, if the ark indeed is on Big, big Mount Ararat, and they would have to go down into the valley floor, um, you know, which is 17,000 feet. It wouldn't be quite that long, but it, quite a ways down. Um, they would have to go down in the valley. But the question, is then, and it's a question we don't have an answer for, how did the animals get from uh, that area to other continents? Okay, Assuming that there's a universal flood that covered the whole earth, then how did the animals and how did the people get to other continents? And we don't have the answer for that. I mean, we, we don't know. There's, there's different theories and so on, but we don't know how that happened. So as we said, the animals went into the ark in pairs, came out of the ark in pairs and in kinds. Beginning verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childbirth. Childhood, I'm sorry. Okay, So it goes back to that theme of this evil, evilness in man's heart. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So the first thing Noah did then, as he ex- exits the ark, is that he builds an altar... All right, now this is the first time that we've seen an altar built for offering sacrifices. All right. Now there, it talked about uh, Abel uh, in Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So Abel offered um, sacrifices from his flocks but there's no mention of an altar. So this now is the first time with Noah builds an altar and begins to offer sacrifices for, um, you know, sacrifices of thanksgiving and also, I believe, sacrifices of um, intercession and, and just, you know, out of a pure heart of thanksgiving, Noah begins to offer sacrifices to God thanking him for what he's for what he's done. And the burnt offering in, you know, as we see all throughout the history of Israel then was the continual daily sacrifice offered every morning and evening in the sacrifice in the tabernacle. And then both in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the permanent temple, uh, God uh, you know, the priests would offer sacrifice on this this altar. And it says that God smelled this pleasing aroma, and God's heart was stirred because of what Noah had done. And one commentator says this, that Noah's offering was both a thanksgiving offering and an offering of propitiation and atonement for sin. Interesting kind of concept, that it was a prayer It was an offering of thanksgiving, but also an offering of of atonement for sin. Uh, And realizing that the reason that God had brought this destruction on all of mankind and all of the animal kingdom was the result of sin. And so Noah offers an offering of propitiation for sin. And then God makes a promise to Noah, and he makes two related vows, as a result of Noah's sacrifice. He says, never again would God curse the ground because of man. Alright, now, I don't believe that this is a reverse of the curse that's given in, you know, earlier in Genesis, that, uh, you know, that God would... That, that, because of the fall of man, that that God cursed the ground. So this is not a reverse of that, but it's not adding to that, okay? So God would not add a second curse on the ground. And the second vow was that never again would God destroy all living creatures. All right, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night would never cease. All right, so what it's saying is that we can count on the fact that things will, will be regular until the time of the end. Now, he doesn't say that he wouldn't destroy, the, God is going to, in the end, create a new heaven and a new earth. But never again would he destroy it by a flood. Times and seasons would be constant as long as the earth endures. There will be uniformity, seasons and days and regularity and pattern on the earth that would continue. And God has not destroyed the whole earth since then. Isn't that right? (laughs) But he will destroy the whole earth and the heavens in the end times and create a new heaven, new earth. Revelation 21. Then I saw... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea." Okay, so in the end, God creates a new heaven and the earth. Okay, so what do we learn from this chapter? Um, there's you know, always lessons in this. What is God saying out of this eighth chapter? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, because in Hebrews, there, you know, if you remember, Hebrews is a catalog of the heroes of the faith. And Hebrews 11:1, I'm going to start from verse one, but then we'll talk about Noah in verse seven. Now Noah is being, now faith, I'm sorry, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. We just read about that. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch, remember Enoch, we talked about Enoch and he was taken away. There was no more. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And then there's this beautiful verse. I go back to this often. I love this verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then the writer of Hebrews goes into... Noah's life. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So the writer of Hebrews then lifts up Noah as one who had great faith, one of the heroes of the faith. He built an ark to save his family and condemned the present world at that time. So Noah believed God and built an ark. Now you can imagine, um, you know, Noah and um, what he went through, building an ark. Okay, now according to the scriptures, there was not prior to that time, there had not been rain on the earth, as as far as we can get from scripture. So there had not been rain on the earth. And so Noah is building an ark out of the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we don't know where, exactly where he was. But he's building an ark that can only be sailed on the sea. And, you know, and, and there he is. And uh, I can just imagine the people looking at Noah and going, this guy is nuts. <laughs> I mean, they must have thought he was really off his rocker, building a, a huge ark. You know, you were talking to Cheryl about how enormous this ark is out in the middle of nowhere where there's no water and and he's building this ark. Well, he had faith. And that's the, that's what that's what Hebrews comes, you know, is talking about that he what incredible faith he must have had to be building an ark in that time at that place far from the sea. It had no means of propulsion. So you know so I mean in terms of a you know a vessel a seaworthy vessel uh, the first thing you think about is propulsion some way to get it from one place to another and it had nothing And they must have thought he was absolutely <coughs> insane okay Hebrews 11:6 and without faith it is impossible to please God And you know isn't that where we live as well as as his people We live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him, and then there's two parts in this I want to talk about for a moment. We must believe that God exists. And we as the people of God, the foundation of our faith is that we believe that there is a God. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and we believe that God exists, and that He's part of our lives. Now that, to many people, is, is just as insane as Noah building an ark. You know? Because, you know, we serve a, an invisible God. And we run our lives by an invisible God, an invisible hand, listening to God and obeying what God tells us to do. And it doesn't always make sense, does it? We're governed by what is unseen, not what is seen. And we live in communion with a God whom we, can, we have never actually seen with our eyes. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the first thing that that we do as believers is that we seek to please God. We seek Him, and we will find Him when we seek Him with all of our hearts. So we are called to that relationship with an invisible God by faith. But the second part is that we must believe that those who earnestly seek Him will find Him. And the foundation of our faith is that if we keep seeking and seeking after a relationship with the living God, that we will find Him. And and that God will bless us. And that we can live by faith. And we believe that pleasing God is the goal of our lives. We are separate from the culture around us. And we are willing as believers in Jesus Christ, we are willing to be different just like Noah. Okay? And part I believe of growing as Christians is that, is that we decide I am, it's alright, I'm going to be different than the culture around me. I'm going to stick out. I'm going to be different. I'm going to and my question is, are we willing to be weirdos for Christ? <laughs> are you willing to be a weirdo for Jesus Christ? We can get so comfortable with our own culture that we lose effectiveness in influencing that culture. And you know, there's always this balance as believers, isn't there? And the balance is that we want to win people for Christ. And we cannot win people for Christ by not being with them. I mean, you know, that, that isn't going to happen. So we have to be with the people of this world at the same time that we are willing to be weirdos. <laughs> We're willing to be different. And I would maintain that the more different that we are, the more that we actually influence the people around us. Because they're looking for something different. They know, they know that their lives, there's something radically missing in their lives. And when we are strange, but yet in touch with our God, they look to us and they say, okay, uh, maybe it's over there. And we do it with joy, and we do it with love, and we do it in a whole different spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, it says in verse 17, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Almighty. So this really is the message of Noah and the flood, is that Noah was willing to be different. He was willing to be, you know, by faith, he built an ark. And he was willing to to be despised and looked down on and even ridiculed for building an ark out of the middle of nowhere with no, no propulsion and then no way to get the ark to the sea. And yet Noah was willing to do that. So my question is this. Are we willing to incur the ridicule and the scorn of those in our culture in order to pursue a relationship with God and obey Him? Are you willing to take that, that abuse? Are you willing to incur that kind of 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 scorn and ridicule. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Jesus says, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So, I think all of us need to examine our hearts and say, God, am I willing to be different? They persecuted Jesus. Are we willing to be persecuted? Are we willing to be different? Are we willing to to have people, um, you know, and, and it's not that we withdraw from people, that we establish a relationship with them, but in that then, we are willing to be different. We live from the inside out, from the center, the place of intimacy with God, out to the world. And the more we identify with a culture, as I've said, the less impact we have on it. Our lives are to be governed by a holy center, the place of intimacy with God. So the question I believe that we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to live out of that place of intimacy with God and incur the abuse, if that comes may not always come, but it may come that abuse, that that ridicule, that even that persecution that comes because we're just plain different. And I believe the promise is that the more that we identify with Christ and are willing to be different, the more we can have an impact on the culture around us. May God bless you.
4: Father, as we think about the ark and the, and the experiences of Noah, let us remember that, you know, it was, it was built huge. It took, I believe we a 100 years to build. And Lord, obviously it took a lot of material. So those places where you had them living had to have all the material for them to build. And if there hadn't been any rain, these trees and that the, that it was built out of had to be getting the water from from the ground. So Lord, there's so much we don't know, but we know, but we know, and we have the faith that the story is true, that the that you brought a great flood to the to the world, and that you had. Noah build his ark and bring on his family and all these animals so that the earth could be repopulated again. So Lord, we just we thank you that you saw enough good in some man that they were willing to be saved as well as, as, well as the animals of the, of the earth. And Lord, our faith is in you. Our love is in you. So allow us to go out and be those, to be broadcasting your word and be examples of how you would have us be, how Jesus taught us to be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.